You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. looking at book of Genesis. Um, we're looking at chapters 12 through 50, and um, those are sometimes referred to as the patriarchs, stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And in many ways, it's the story of this, um, this blessing, this unstoppable blessing. And some of that you just heard Caroline read about uh, the blessing is basically that God says, I will bless all the nations of the earth through you. So he's going to bless Abraham, no matter what Abraham does. And we saw that Abraham did a lot of stupid things. And not only is he going to bless Abraham, he's going to create a great nation out of Abraham. And then he's going to make that nation a nation that blesses the whole world. Of course, that nation was Israel, and Israel has blessed the world. And now there are many children of Abraham right here in this field uh, praising God. So... We see that basic blessing which God gave to Abraham in Genesis 12 uh, reverberating down the centuries as we sit here today. And we're part of that great blessing. And really, the, the, the blessing um, has changed the entire world. It's generated this kingdom of God um, out of exhausted and fearful people like Jacob. We looked at Abraham the first four weeks. We looked at Jacob last week. We're going to look at Jacob this week and the next two weeks. And this is a bitter young man. We saw that last week. Uh, He is a man who hated his older brother because his dad favored his older brother. And so uh, Jacob actually stole the birthright of his older brother Esau, and he also stole the blessing by manipulating his dad. Uh, So he's not a healthy man. And yet, in spite of that, God's blessings that he stole just come pouring down on him in this passage tonight. Um, kind of like the angels of Bethlehem. This whole multitude of the heavenly host appears to him and they just bless him. God just pours out this old, this ancient blessing on his, uh, his grandfather Abraham comes upon him. And it kind of, it begins to wear him down here. The blessing begins to wear him down. I thought about the way you put wood on a lathe and you spin it around and you uh, take sandpaper or whatever. The blessing's like that sandpaper that just wears down that wood as it spins around on that lathe. And in many ways, that same blessing does that to us, and it makes us holy. It sanctifies us. It softens our edges. And that's what we see happening in this passage tonight, where Jacob begins to be worn down by this blessing to his grandfather, Abraham. So I want to look at the blessing itself, and then the response, Jacob's response to that blessing. So first of all, like I said, Jacob has just stolen his dad's blessing. So you need to appreciate the context here. Uh, that Jacob dressed up like his older brother Esau, who was hairy. So he put on a hairy garment, and his dad was blind, and so he got his 
blind dad to bless him instead of Esau. And so obviously, that's, there's not a good family system dynamic there. And, and, and Jacob is a, um, is a usurper. Uh, he is deceitful. And he's a schemer. We saw that last week. And so Esau obviously is very angry with his younger brother, and he wants to kill him. So even more dysfunction in the family. And, and Esau is going around muttering curses and telling everybody he's going to kill his, his younger brother Jacob. And so mom and dad say, we need to get Jacob out of here, and we need to send him to his uncle's house, which is 500 miles to the north. So he goes off to Haran. Verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba, and he, traveled the five, he began to travel the 500 miles towards Iraq. They're kind of down near um, Jerusalem. They go all the way up towards uh, Iraq. And in verse 11, it says that Jacob came to a certain place. He's been 100 miles into his journey now. He comes to, this, it said, a certain place. It's kind of foreshadowing. It's a special place. And the sun set, verse 10. Imagine him on this uh, dusty um, road potentially uh, desert-like area. And um, it says that he put a big flat stone under his head and he lay down to sleep. It shows how exhausted he is, that he could sleep on a stone. I can't even sleep without a pillow. And Jacob has gone to sleep on a stone, which just, it's a nice touch by Moses, the author, to let you know that he is exhausted. He's not doing well. Uh, He's running from home. And uh, he's frightened. And he's got his head on a rock and he's sleeping. But unbeknownst to Jacob, he is right at the epicenter of this portal of God's blessings to planet Earth. It's, it's the land of Abraham. It says in verse 13, the land on which you lie, I will give you and your offspring. So he is right there at the place uh, where the blessings will flow. It's kind of like the intersection of heaven and Earth. Like a huge... You know, the Spaghetti Junction in Atlanta, if you know that, or the, or the uh, intersection of 52 and 40, closest thing we have to it here in Winston-Salem, but like a major, always got cars going around. It says the angels of God are ascending and descending. And uh, I think of that as like heavy traffic. Uh, there's just ma- massive uh, heavenly activity going in this portal. Um, angels ascend, we don't know exactly what that means. But you can imagine it, can't you? These, this just traffic of uh, the unseen realm is penetrating into the seen realm. I don't know if you like Stranger Things. I absolutely love uh, Stranger Things. And then if you've seen that, um, uh, this TV series, Stranger Things, you know there's this thing that's called the gate. And the gate is like this 30-foot-tall burning red eye. It's like, this, it's like the eye of Sauron. Burning red eye. And in that gate... Uh, it's this portal to the, they call it the upside down, the unseen realm. And so that's kind of what's going on here. This is the unseen realm uh, that is breaking into the scene. And that's what's going on. He's got his head on a rock, but this, suddenly this gate opens up and there are angels ascending and descending on him. It says in verse 12, uh, behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and the top reached to the heaven. So you might've heard of Jacob's ladder. Not the best translation. It's really a staircase. It's a staircase, not a ladder. In fact, it's not even really a staircase. It's more like an ancient temple. Uh, You may know the word ziggurat. I don't know if you've heard of the word ziggurat. Um, These uh, these things appear both in uh, the Mesopotamian empires and also in the Mayan empire. 
Have you ever been to Mexico and seen the, uh, the temple? It's the Mayan temple of Chichen Itza. I don't know if you've seen that before, but that's the kind of thing that a ziggurat is. This huge structure that's kind of like uh, in the shape of, of four stairways going down from the top. And it says that um, this ladder is set up at that portal. And it's not so much that Jacob is climbing the ladder, it's that the ladder is descending. The, the ziggurat is coming down. It's coming down like an alien spaceship on the earth. Uh, Jacob's actually asleep, so he can't be ascending. It says in verse 13, Behold, the Lord stood above it. But really, literally, it says the Lord stood beside him. So again, the Lord is right there. The ziggurat has come down. The Lord is with him on the ground. It's kind of like the way that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden. He's back. God is back walking with his image bearers on this place where the stone is. And then Jacob says in verse 16, surely the Lord is in this place. He doesn't say, surely I'm in heaven. He says, surely the Lord has come to be with me on this rock, on this stone. So uh, there's a movie, another movie I love called Arrival. The movie Arrival, where um, aliens come to bless the earth with this new insight. Uh, And that insight, I won't tell you what it is, but the insight is going to save the planet, they say. The aliens bring this insight, and God has come down like these, like these uh, you know, extraterrestrial beings. He's come down to bless the planet. Jacob probably thinks he's there to kill him, but God has come down to bless the planet and save the planet through these words of the blessing. It says in verse 17, Jacob was afraid. Why do you think he was afraid? I would be afraid because I would know that I have just ripped off my brother I have stolen the birthright. I have stolen the blessing. I'm an imposter. I've manipulated my dad. Um, And I would be afraid that he's come to punish me, maybe even kill me. But God does exactly the opposite. In verse 14, God reiterates the blessing to Jacob, the same blessing he said to Isaac, that he said to Abraham, in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God compares it to dust. He compared it to stars to Abraham. Now he compares it to all the dust in the earth, all the sand on the seashores. This is the ancient blessing that would change the world. So in Genesis 12:3, 12:7, 13:14, 17:17, 18, 18, 22:17, six times God is told Abraham, I will bless you and I will bless the world through you. And he said it to Isaac in, in 26:4. Genesis 26, 4, I will bless you and I'll bless the world through you. And now he says it in verse 14, you shall spread abroad to the west and east and north and south. It's like this stone comes down and hits a pond and the ripples go out across the whole earth. This blessing comes down and God says, this is unstoppable. This blessing cannot be stopped. God is introducing himself to Jacob for the first time. Jacob had never really known this God. And God is saying, I am the king who will never stop blessing you, Jacob. In spite of all your manipulation, I'm not gonna stop. And I know that you stole the blessing and yet I'm gonna bless you anyway. And then God says, and also you're gonna be part of my kingdom that will bless the entire world. In spite of all your fear, you're gonna bless the world. All your manipulation and all your fear are not gonna stop me from blessing you and blessing the world through you. It's like this freight train from heaven that He tries to stop almost. You know, Abraham tried to stop it. Isaac tried to stop it. And all humans are trying to stop the blessing. It just keeps coming, 
keeps barreling down the tracks and it reverberates through the ages. And as I said, we sit here, it's like thunder that just rumbles on and on and on. I will bless you and I will bless the world through you. And that's what he says to us. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, this blessing is for you as well. I will bless you and I will bless people through you. And I will unstoppably bless you. In spite of your manipulation and your fear and your unbelief, you are eternally blessed. When was the last time someone told you that? When was the last time you told that to somebody? Usually we say to ourselves, we're cursed. So often we curse ourselves. We say all these negative things to ourselves. Um, we make like a deal with the devil that we're going to accuse ourselves. And God says, I want you to bless yourself because I bless you. And I want you to bless other people because I bless them. And I want this blessing to ping pong around you like, a, like in a billiard ball, just going around. I want, you to, I want you to bless each other. And I want you to know that you're blessed. And when I say that, this is not a subjective sentiment. Like I said, when I blessed these two children, you know, <clears throat> Winnie Jean and Kit are blessed. And you can't come up here and take the blessing away from them. You know, you, when, I used to always think when I read the story of Isaac and, and Jacob, why didn't Isaac just say, well, I didn't really mean that. Now I'm going to bless you, Esau. But Esau actually asks Isaac, and Isaac says, I blessed him. I can't take away the blessing. Because when I blessed him, God blessed him. And so when we speak blessings on each other, like I did on those children, like, I'm, like Austin's going to do tonight when he gives the benediction, he's going to bless you authoritatively. It's an authoritative statement from heaven. You are, in fact, blessed no matter how much you feel cursed or forgotten. In fact, objectively, it's yours. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, the Heavenly Father, and the blessed fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. And we say amen, because we're accepting that blessing. When you bless people, it actually accomplishes things. Words accomplish things. If I say to someone, you look really ugly right now, uh, that's going to significantly impact their their thoughts and their feelings. They're going to feel terrible. If I say, look, you look beautiful or you're a wonderful person or uh, I see all the amazing things God is doing through you or God loves you, that's going to change their day. That's going to change their, the way they feel about themselves. And we have the power to either curse people or bless people. You know, you can make someone's blood pressure drop, actually. You could make their breathing slow down by saying certain things to them. The way that God speaks to Jacob right here. In Jacob's moment of exhaustion with his head on a pillow of stone. And I love that God gives Jacob both sights and sounds. You know, God doesn't just say, I, I, I bless you. He gives us these elements. He gives us the water on the, the child's head. There's the open portal. There's the angels. There's the voice of thunder. There's the words. It's an authoritative proclamation of blessing. That's the first point. The second point is that um, Jacob does not respond to this altogether well. It's a good start. He woke up and he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. And I think God might say, you didn't know I was in any place. <laughs> you didn't know me at all. Uh, but at least he says, surely the Lord is in this place. That's a good start. He's admitting that he was ignorant. I did not know it. And I think about uh, in the Matrix uh, wonderful movie, a new one's coming out soon. But in The Matrix, after Neo takes the red pill, uh, he, he wakes up after seeing like 
you know, he, he sees reality for the first time. He sees that he's in this battle, uh, massive spiritual battle going on. And uh, he wakes up and he says, my eyes hurt. And then Morpheus says, that's because you've never used them before. And in many ways, Jacob, for the first time, has used his, his spiritual sight. He never saw before that moment. I remember when I first became a believer. And I was reading Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And for the first time, it's like, um, it's like some, something just fell away from me. And I just saw spiritual reality. Like the angels ascending and descending. There was something beyond the three-dimensional world around me. And now, Jacob is now awake to reality, to the reality of this relentless blessing. He's awake to that, but uh, he still has a long way to go. And I love the realism of the Bible. I love that Jacob does not just forever change, because that's never what happens to us. He's not changed forever. In fact, the very moment that he is awake to God's blessing, it says in verse 18, early in the morning, he took a stone that he put under his head and he set it up for a pillar. Which I thought when I read it, that sounds great. Uh, but a commentary I read said not so much. Because in Deuteronomy 16.22, God forbids pillars. Um, in many ways, uh, Jacob is still living in the matrix of the ancient Near Eastern religious world. Uh, because the Canaanites created pillars. They would stack stones up, kind of like the Tower of Babel. They would make these bargains with their God. And the pillar was a way of making a bargain. It was kind of like an obelisk. Uh, they say it was 12 feet tall. Uh, a lot of pillars are about 12 feet. These obelisks, like the Washington Monument, um, that's the way these Canaanite pillars look. Now, Jacob couldn't have made one of those, but that's what he was going for. It's a symbol of, of our spirit kind of rising to God and our attempt to kind of make a bargain with God, right? So in the Tower of Babel, we said, uh, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us ascend to heaven. And that's exactly what the pillar is about. It's Jacob's attempt to kind of ascend to heaven or say, I'm going to meet you halfway, God. And he still thinks he can climb that ziggurat and uh, maybe meet God halfway. But then in 20, it gets even worse. He says, and listen to this vow and, and think about what he's saying here. If God will be with me and if he will give me bread and clothing and if I again come to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. That's not a very courageous vow. That's like saying, if you check all five of these boxes, then I will let you be my sovereign Lord, at least until you stop working for me. Uh, it's a pathetic vow. Imagine a wedding where, you know, I say in the wedding, uh, I say to the bride, do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? She says, I do. To have and to hold, I do. From this day forward, I do, for better, for worse, I do, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, I do. And then I turn to the man and I say, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? And he's like, as long as she makes enough money and, and stays fit and uh, provides great children and uh, cooks well and keeps the house clean. You know, imagine that kind of vow. That's an anti-vow. I would probably say to the... Um, to the bride, maybe you should rethink the vows you just made and, and maybe you should get out of here right now because this is not a man who is willing to keep promises. Those are not vows. That's what I would do. But God doesn't do that. Uh, God says in verse 15, even before, he knows Jacob's gonna make these pathetic vows, these vows, and yet God, before he does that, he says in verse 15, Jacob, I am with you 
I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land and I will never leave you. So all four of the conditional vows that Jacob made are struck down by the four unconditional vows that God makes. I will be with you. I will keep you. I will bring you back and I will never leave you. And God makes these vows to Jacob knowing that Jacob will flake out on him. And God says, I am going to bless you no matter what. My blessings are relentless and unstoppable. And even your flaky responses to me do not change the fact that I will bless you. The, the ultimate example of this, of course, is uh, the coming of Christ. And, and when Jesus, the Son of God, came, um, the ultimate ziggurat coming down, the ultimate Jacob's ladder, uh, he says, Jesus actually says to Nathaniel, some of you know this story, in John 151, he says to one of the, the very first disciples, this is early on in the Gospels, he says, Nathaniel, you will see heaven opened and angels ascending and descending on me. And of course, Nathaniel knew what he was talking about. Nathaniel knew that Jesus was saying, I am the portal, I am the gate, I am the one on whom heaven and earth come together. I am the ziggurat coming down. I guarantee the blessings and I will be with you and I will keep you and I will bring you back and I will never leave you. And that's the vow that we see in this table right here. That in this table, we see that Jesus is the one on whom the angels come up and down. He is the, he, this is the portal right here to all the blessings. So imagine that massive red opening into the unseen realm and you come up here and you partake. This is not to be trifled with. Uh, these are not trifling matters. Uh, this is serious stuff. And that's why we always say, if you don't believe in this, um, you know, don't monkey around or play around with these elements. Uh, it's, it's not a good idea to come and partake of this uh, just on a whim or because you, you, know, you want a snack. Uh, you should come up here only if you really uh, take these things seriously. Now, if you're not going to come up here, we're so glad you're here. We love it when people come here who don't partake. Uh, we want people to come here uh, who, who are not yet sure what to do with Jesus. But just know that we believe this is the portal. This is where the angels are ascending and descending. Uh, this is the very, the very presence of God. Uh, surely the Lord is